0: Yeah. Well, you know, my home church pastor would say, if that didn't light your fire, your wood is wet. It is a joy to be with you today, my friends. What a delight it is to be in the house of the Lord with you. Let's start with some good news, shall we? The, uh, the revival that I spoke of last week taking place at Isbury, Kentucky, continues. It is now into its second week, and I am excited to see what the Lord is doing there. If you are one like me who would like to participate in that, but it's a little bit far, then here's good news. Starting tomorrow at 2 o'clock in our chapel, we will be live streaming what they're doing. We won't do it for all day and all night like they're doing, but we will invite you to participate. That's good news. In my lifetime, there's been exactly one other moment that I think I've seen something like this, and that was nearly 30 years ago. The Spirit of God is at work, my friends, and I want us to make sure that we see it. I invite you to join us for that. Maybe you are busy and you can't come then. Then I invite you to join us on Wednesday night. Wednesday night at 6.30 at First Methodist Church. We're going to participate in a community-wide service, one that celebrates or commemorates Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is a the beginning, the official beginning of the preparation for Easter. You might say, Easter is a long way off, not near as far as you think it is, seven weeks from today. This is when we begin getting ready for it. I want to invite you to be a part of this. Now, if you're really brave, at the end of the service, you can come down with the others and let us impose ashes on your forehead in the sign of a cross. You might say, that's kind of weird and creepy, Darren. I don't want to do it, so you don't have to. But you're welcome to. It is a tradition that dates back a long way into the history of Christianity, well before the Catholic Church was founded, with whom it is most closely associated. We have records of it being honored this way as early as the fourth century. So we invite you to join us in that and celebrate. Here's more good news. We have a new member of First Baptist Family, and we want to celebrate that. Jeff and Britt Kunin welcomed their beautiful new daughter yesterday evening. And let me tell you, Britt is now on my Hall of Honor Amazing People list. She coached basketball yesterday morning. I wonder if you did that and then gave birth later in the day. Probably not. Praise the Lord for this beautiful new baby girl. Blair is her name, and she is doing well. Pray for Britt and and for their journey ahead and for Jeff and the journey that lies ahead for them. Praise the Lord for this wonderful new gift. We have a very special gift guest, uh, guest today, and I, I wanted to give him a chance to come and speak to you. Uh, Greg Smith is with us. Greg is no stranger to us. He grew up in our church. Before the early service, he told me this is the 50th year of the Lord's call on his life into ministry. He's one of us, and the Lord has used him in some remarkable and amazing ways. He's one of our ministry partners, and it's important to me that you hear from him. So I've invited Greg to come and share a word with us. Come on, my friend. Welcome home.
1: Glad to have you here, buddy. Thank you. Well, good morning, First Baptist. Good morning. Okay. Good morning. Delighted to be with you this morning, and I just do want to take a few minutes to share some things on my heart. As Darren did say, it's been 50 years uh, this June since my call into the ministry, and I have to tell you that God has never disappointed me, not even one minute of any day. And it all started here. To be honest, uh, I can't remember a a time when I was not a part of this church, and this church is a part of my life. I mean, literally from the nursery all the way up to, to now. And it's been an amazing story uh, what God has done with my life and through my life. And it's an amazing story when you give your life to God, what he can do with your life. And uh, I was blessed uh, to be able to enjoy much of the children's ministry through RAs and student ministry through a lot of the musicals we did and mission trips we took. Uh, And then later in the college days and early days of our life, uh, we not only have been in the in our call living out our call for these last 50 years this church licensed us to the ministry it also ordained us to the gospel ministry and when we were in seminary supported us in those early days until we could land on our feet and get started on the road that God had chosen for us and it's been an amazing uh, adventure that would be the word i would use to describe i've gone from 18 years of service in the local church to the last uh, 25 years of ministry to the global church so That commitment that I made has now taken me into 53 countries, 10 new countries this year, so that'll be a total of 63 by the end of this year, and uh, it's allowed us to work with some of the most amazing uh, soldiers, Christians in the cause today. You know, it's not about your circumstances, it's about your cause, and I learned that early on that, you know, we may not be in the ideal circumstance, but you know what? The cause never changes, and the cause is to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, You know, uh, last week I was doing prep work in uh, San Pedro Sula, Honduras for a unity and urgency conference that I'll lead next month. Amazing how the body of Christ is coming around together in unity and a sense of urgency to reach their nations for Christ. You can just see the geopolitical impact of what's happening in our world today and realize that we're living very close to John 9-4 when Jesus said, work while it's day because night's coming and it is coming. Uh, And for me... Not only is it coming, I, I think, Darren, I'm at about four o'clock in the day. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm Keith, I'm just, I'm just in the red zone, but thankfully I'm not on the five-yard line and it's fourth down. But I'm getting close. But we've got to work while it's daylight, and this church has been such a blessing to us. I was reading through the book of uh, Philippians this month, because I'll actually be in the Philippines next week, and... Uh, it was interesting the way, the way that God was speaking to me in that first chapter. He says in verse 3, 4, and 5, he says that every time I think about you, you know, he started that church, Paul did. Started with eight people on the, on the um, riverbank outside the city of Philippi, a Roman colony at the time. And he started that church, and when he did, he grew to love that church. And every time he thought about that church, it brought him sweet memories. Uh, he was in prison when he was writing that letter, by the way, five years in prison, Uh, But he wrote that letter and he just said, every time I think about you, I have such warm memories in my heart. Then he said in verse 4, I pray for you. And when I pray for you, it's with joy in my heart. And that prayer is translated to a petition. It's a petition kind of prayer. When I think about you, I'm petitioning God on your behalf. And then he said, finally, because of your partnership. And here's what I love, since the very first day. And when I think about that in verse 5, I think about this church has been with me for the very from the very first day of ministry, now approaching 50 years this year. And when I think about 50 years, I think about where did that go? Where did that time go? I told Doris before the service today, I said, I finally reached the 50 club. And it's not age. It's in length of service. And so I, I joined a, a, a chorus of people at this church that have served this church. You've taught Sunday school this, in this church. You've worked and labored as ushers and deacons in this church for 50 years, and we're all a part of the same family and the same partnership. I do want to tell you about one experience of where you have invested, and I could, I could spend the rest of the morning talking about that, but where you have invested not only in the short-term mission teams that we've taken overseas, now over 320, involving 3,000 people on short-term mission projects. I see the McIntyres here. We took them to Costa Rica and the Scars. Keith, we've taken him to Costa Rica, and there are others. But one of the things that have been, has been so impressive to me is about how God is mobilizing strategically the people that he needs exactly where he needs them today. And I think about my friend Bishwateb Godka, who is uh, the pastor of the Life-Giving Church in Nepal. Kathmandu is where he lives, and he is a church planter extraordinaire. And it's difficult, as you know, when you've got on one end Hindu, on the other end Uh, Muslim, and then you have the Tibetan community, front doors China, back doors India to this great country. But yet, strategically, they've identified 25,000 cities and villages throughout the Himalayas, and they're putting a church by 2030 in every one of those villages. In the last three years, I've had the opportunity every Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock to mentor uh, 1,600 of these church planters via Zoom. I'll be over there in May, live, and going up to about 14,000 feet to to plant the newest of church. But one of the things that has been so impressive to me is that the Bible College, which they started in in 2014, now has 250 graduates. And you've helped me to help them train those graduates so that when they leave that Bible College, they immediately go into a church planning situation there in their country. And I I was really touched last month when I received a, a video of a baptism here was Bishwa and a few of the, the members of his Bible college and some of the other pastor, church planters in that area. And they were in the middle of a rice field. And they were digging a hole. And, and they didn't go down very far before the water started coming up. And then they, they made the hole a little bit broader. And I soon realized what they were doing was building a baptistry. And shortly after that, he baptized, water baptized, 14 new believers. Now, that may not sound like a lot to you and me, but I want you to know when you have to leave everything to follow Jesus Christ in a country like Nepal, your family disowns you, your friends disown you, you need a new family. And that's why we plant churches as well as help reach people for Christ because that becomes their family. And I want to say to you today, and I could, I could just tell you so much more, but I want to say to you today, you have given me a spiritual and a missional DNA that I could never repay you for, 50 years. Where has that gone? Doris, I learned today from, from uh, Rhonda Lacey that when I was 16 and I was, I was entertaining this call that the WMU actually had me on their hit list they were praying for me. I was on their top ten list. And it wasn't like God let him hear your call. It was God straighten that boy out <laughs> and do something with his life. I never knew that the WMU was praying for me. But I, I stand before you today as an answer to prayer of those godly, saintly women who many are no longer here among us. But it's about partnership. Like Paul said, and he went on to say in verse 21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And what he was saying to that precious church that day was like, you know what, I finally reached a place where I've got enough experience, enough knowledge, enough spiritual maturity to help advance the cause of Christ. But if God chooses to take me today, heaven's my home, and it's okay. And I feel that way about you, First Baptist Midland. Not only are you a spiritual family, but I want to advance the church because my call is to the local church. But if God was to take me home and, and, and heaven is growing more and more in my heart these days, then that's okay too. But until that happens, whether we stay together or we are bound for heaven, let's continue to work together and seize the day. Not only with our ministry, but all the other wonderful ministries like Josh's ministry that, that you have expressly helped to exponentially carry the great commission of this church and the honor of carrying your vision to the nations in your behalf. Darren, thank you so much for your leadership at this church. Thank you for the invitation to say a few words today. Brian, for your leadership and a great commission mind that both of you men have to get the gospel to as many as we can, as quickly as we can, as efficiently as we can to the glory of God. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful Day that you've given to us. This is a day you've made, and and I know I'm rejoicing in my heart because of it. I thank you, Father, for the influence that this church has had not only in my life, but through my life that's touched so many others. And I'm just one over this storied history and this missional vision of First Baptist Midland. And so I want to thank you today, Father, on behalf of so many that have stood here before and those who aren't able to stand today and to say thank you. Thank you for a gracious church. Thank you for a generous church. Thank you for a church that has taken so many of us in as family. Pray for us and support us to encourage us in the days that we are here to serve you. And may it be, Father, that each of us in our own way will find how you want to use our life and we'll spend the rest of our life, not based on circumstances, but on the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray this day. Amen. Thank you very much. And God bless every one of you. Thanks, my
0: brother. Love it, man. Talk to you, man. Thank you. You know, friends, it's not easy to come back home. And I was reminded of that a few years ago, uh, not long before my mom got called home to heaven. She implored upon our home church to invite me back and... Let me come and preach one Sunday there, and I was delighted to go do so. And it was a joy to see so many that I'd grown up with that I'd known all my life. And at the end of the service, they just came and hugged me and loved on me. And as they were leaving, I heard one of them, a lady that I've known since I was about 10 years old, uh, she said, didn't that little boy do so good? You know, it's tough to come home. But praise the Lord, we're a family anyway. So let's jump into Revelation 22. Revelation 22. This is the next-to-last talk in our Revelation series, and you might say, praise God for that, but hang on with me. Next week will be our 44th talk out of Revelation. If you've made it through, then congratulations, you're a survivor. But more to the point, my hope is that you've garnered something as a result of it, that you've remembered and reflected on what God is saying to us through Revelation this Chapter 22 being a key part of it. Welcome, my friends, to the Eden and the River of Life. Now, when we say Eden, we don't mean the city near Brady, all right? We're not over in that part of the state. No, this Eden is the real Eden. It is the one for whom we have longed for and that we were created for. Eden and the River of Life is what my friend Jack read for us a minute ago in the first five verses. Let's start with the River of Life. God sends the river of the water of life, the provision of the city, right through the middle of the city. Let me read those first two verses again. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Now, we don't see any other streets, so this is the only one. And right through the middle of it, it flows a river. Now, we know something about that if you've been a member of this church very long. When it rains in April, our little street out here will become our river, won't it? I don't know if you've been here on a Sunday morning when it rains, but it's a blessing, blessed thing to have to wade back to your car on the west side of the campus. It, however, is rather brownish when it flows here. This river will be very different than that. Let's talk about the river for a moment because it's one of the key features of the city that we call the New Jerusalem. The river flows flawlessly clear. The perfection of the water is a powerful reminder that there are no more impurities. Here in the new heaven, new earth, there is nothing to pollute it. Oh man, now is that good news? I don't know about you, but I like to go to the Gulf of Mexico even if it is muddy brown, it's still a warm body of water that is a delight and a joy to my soul. It was quite a shock one year when I went down to Belize and I was taken out into the Caribbean Sea or Caribbean, whichever way you want to say it. And they waded me out about, I don't know, two, three hundred yards, and the water was crystal clear. I didn't know what to do with myself. That, friends, is an example of the flawless clearness that we'll see in the river that flows down. And where does it flow down from? The river flows from the throne, the living water as its source. The lamb and his throne are the fulfillment of what Jesus told the woman at the well back in John chapter 4. You remember that chapter? The woman comes to get water, and Jesus meets her there and tells her all about her past, and he tells her something. He tells her, I am the living water. Oh, wow. He who drinks of me shall never thirst again. Here it is. This is the fulfillment of that very thing. The living water is his source. The headwaters of this river is Jesus himself. Now, you might say, well, how can Jesus be the headwaters? I don't know. I just know it is. The living water is where we see the river coming from and let's move to this last section of it the river flows through the center of city most early cities were constructed around watersheds usually rivers this one is no difference consider how it is the centerpiece of the city as if as if the water of life is central to the eternality of it, and indeed it is. Now, if you have traveled the city of Dallas and you go downtown, one of the things that might be confusing to you is the way the the, seat, the, the downtown streets are platted out because it seems that none of them run true east, west, north, south, and indeed you're right. But there's a reason behind that, and it's, it, there's a good reason behind it. It goes back to when Dallas was being settled in the, in the Civil War days, When Dallas was being settled, they platted the streets based on the Trinity River. Now, if you know that, then you know the streets either run to or from the Trinity River, or they run parallel to the river. Now, if you are one who is interested in geography, you'll pull that up and you'll go, okay, I see, Darren, but the Trinity River doesn't run straight. And to that, let's say it's as crooked as a snake's back. Such crookedness in fact is the trinity river that it is an insult to crooked snakes to call it that if you can insult crooked snakes and yet the city was still built around that knowing that water was needed i want to tell you friends the water of life that runs through the throne room of god and from the throne of god is such that it reminds us the centrality of of its place with us. It's not just the river, though. It's not just the river. On each side of the river, there are trees. See it in the verse, the second half of verse 2. On either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, I don't know anything about farming. I don't know anything about raising vegetables or fruit trees, but I know this, I have never once seen a tree that would give a different fruit every month of the year. I've never seen a tree that would bear fruit every month of the year, even if it was the same one. I want to ask you, how crazy is this tree? Could it be then, could it be that the reason this fruit-bearing tree exists is to demonstrate the richness of eternal life? that this fertility and this amazing gift that heaven is expresses itself every time you turn around. Not that we'll necessarily mark time in heaven. I don't know if we will or not, but I know this. If we need to, every time there's a different fruit on the tree, we can mark down another month has passed. Maybe you're one who does know something about farming and Ranching and raising, raising fruit trees. And maybe this strikes you like it would of the original readers of it, those for whom agriculture was a way of life. It's not just the fruit, though. I want you to see this, this second part: the leaves of the tree. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. We're not entirely sure what this means. Does that mean there will be people in heaven who need to be healed? Does that mean there will be nations in heaven who need the fruit that gives healing? Does that mean there are provisions for God to bring healing? Well, I'll tell you what it means. I don't know. And it's okay not to know. Because, friends, I want to give you some good news. We will know. For those of us who are in Christ, this tree that is for the healing of the nations awaits us. If by chance there is a sickness remaining, if by chance there is a division, if by chance there is something that needs a remedy, oh friends, this tree stands ready to offer it. I wondered... if it was something along an analogy that a friend of mine used. Dr. Calvin Miller was a pastor in Omaha for a great many years and taught at Southwestern Seminary for a few years when I was a student there. Dr. Miller, he had a great gift for expressing things in memorable ways. And he said, he said this, he said, I believe in the theology of the esophagus. Now, if you ask Calvin to describe what he means, here's what he would say. He would say to you, there is a, an amazing transposition that happens when you sit down to eat with someone. It's hard to be mad at them. It's hard to hate them. And there's a transposition that happens when we lower our guard far enough to eat with someone. His philosophy went like this. If, if somehow we were to gather enough people And we were to have enough tables and we were to have enough chairs and we were to have a big enough front porch or back porch and we could have a a big enough barbecue pit and we could have enough Dr. Pepper and sit everybody down to a meal. We could solve a lot of the world's problems. I'm not sure he's wrong. Maybe, just maybe, that's the whole point of this tree that gives fruit every month and this tree with leaves that are made for healing. It's to bring together those who belong to him. Let's wrap it up with this. There is, in this new Eden, a new reality for God's people. A new reality. See it in verses 3 to 5. No longer will anything, will, will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They'll see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no lamp, no light of lamp or sun for the Lord. God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. I want you to see this fifth verse especially. Let's start there. No more curse. No more night The gates never close, and the danger never comes. If you're like me, you have a lock on your door. You lock your vehicle when you get out of it. You have passcodes on things on your phone. All those things are designed to slow thieves down and to protect yourself, and wisely so. What will it be like then when we don't need them anymore? It's almost beyond our capacity to imagine that no more curse. What do you mean there's no more curse? There will be no more sin anymore. No more night? How will we sleep? We won't need sleep because we'll be in the presence of God who will be our rest. The gates never close. Danger never comes. The end of the curse means that our reality has changed. In the place of the curse, we have the throne of God. He is now the center of our universe. There are just three things that we can say conclusively about what our experience will be in that time. Here's what they are. One, the believers will serve perfectly. I don't know about you, but there's been times where I've made mistakes. I'll tell you about a friend of mine that made a mistake not so long ago. We were serving a banquet. We were really just the tea and water people, you know, the people that were designed to pour the tea and get out of the way because we're we're not skilled labor. let's just say it that way. So one of my friends that was helping me, he had a tea pitcher in one hand and, and a coffee pitcher in the other hand. And as he was pouring coffee for one of the people that he was pouring it for, he tipped the tea pitcher too. He didn't realize that he was tipping the tea pitcher. He just tipped the tea pitcher. And when he did, it began to run out. And he was standing close enough to the individual that he was serving that that tea began to run down into his shoe. That tea began to fill up his shoe before the coffee began to get full in the the cup. And the gentleman who now has a shoe full of tea tapped my friend David on the shoulder and said, I think my shoe is full before my coffee cup is. Can you stop there? (laughs) Now you might say, well, that's kind of embarrassing. Isn't it though? But one of the things that comes to mind about that is that he didn't serve perfectly. Believers will. The worship of believers is pure, spotless, and eternal. It will not be based on what music is chosen or how much they like it, it'll be based on the God who deserves our praise. It is the purpose for which we are made. And finally, finally, we're able to get back to it. Here's the second thing we can say for sure. Believers will be face to face with God. In the Old Testament, the book of Exodus tells us about when Moses met face to face with God. You'll see it in Exodus 18 and 19, and then you see it again in Exodus 22 and 24. There's those sections talk about when Moses got face-to-face with God and what happened to Moses. It's like it stained Moses. It's like the glory of God was embedded into him, and all of the things that happened as a result of that were placed upon him. Being in the presence of God then changed how he looked. Hmm there's a problem though as much as it changed Moses' appearance Moses was a leaky vessel it ran out almost as fast as God put it in it ran out in other words that moment that season was exactly that just a season ours will not be His glory and our presence in it will be our normal and permanent experience. It won't fade or slip away from us. It'll mark our eternity. Speaking of marked, believers will be marked as God's own. Last week we invited you to wear jerseys and many of you took us up on that. You wore the Colors of the institution to which you belong, or at least the one that you affiliate with, and you came in wearing them proudly, and I'm delighted that you did. That's a real joy and a really great thing that that we want to be identified with. But I want to tell you something, friends. I want to tell you, the glory of God is more significant than that, and our eternity and future in heaven will be such that it marks us not just with a cl- piece of cloth that we wear on our shoulders and back, but rather huh, to mark our lives for eternity forward. So much so, the Bible says, we'll be marked on our foreheads. Now, you know, I've thought a lot about this. Why in the world would God want us to be branded like that? Could it be that branding is for more than just preventing theft could it be then that branding is for marking that which is his own so they don't forget it either this is who i belong to this is what it means to belong to him so it is that god will mark those who are his own Passage concludes with eternal light given by the light of the world. Light of the city is the light of the world. We won't need guard lights or these fancy lights that we use for lighting up the stage. We won't even need the little flashlights on our phones. No, Jesus, the one who proclaimed himself to be the light of the world in John 8:12 is the one who proclaims himself to be the light of the world. So if you have the light of the world within you, you need not fear the darkness. Let us wrap it up with this. Friends, the reality that I've described for you today is strictly and specifically for those in Christ. For those that are not in Christ, it has no meaning or bearing on you whatsoever. But for those of you in Christ... This is the reality that you can look forward to. I want to talk, first of all, to those of you who say, I'm not one of those. If you're not one of those who can say, I belong to Jesus, he is my Lord, and I wear his name proudly, then let today be the day, friend, that you say Jesus came for me, too. Or you might say, well, what must I do to be saved? Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Invite him to be your Lord and master and stand back and watch him do it. Is that all there is to it, Darren? No, because an amazing transformation will take place. Your want to will be changed. Your desires will be reshaped. Today, friends, I want to encourage you to recognize the calling that God has given you is a calling that is uniquely his. He invites you to be his own. If you've never taken Jesus up on that, then here's how you do it. Recognize that you need a Savior. Call on Him to be that in your life and then surrender your life fully to Him. You can do that today. If you want somebody to help you do it, then come down and talk to me in just a moment when we stand up and sing. I'll be waiting for you right down here, me and some of my staff. Maybe, just maybe, you've already done that, but you've never been baptized. This is a good day to get that conversation started. Come down and let's talk about what baptism means. It's a symbol, but it's far more than that. It doesn't save you, but it does mark you as saved. I encourage you, if you've never taken that first step of Christian obedience, to let today be the day that you come down and say, I want to. Maybe you're looking for a church home. We invite you to join us here. We'd be honored to have you as a part of our family. Everybody needs a journey partner, and we'd like to be that for you. Maybe, just maybe, You have something on your heart and mind that's burdening you. It's wearing you down. These steps on either side of our platform, they are an altar, a place to come and kneel and say, Jesus, this is where I'm struggling. These are the things I'm worried about. These are the things that burden me. It doesn't mean you're weak. Quite frankly, it demonstrates your strength. My prayer is that if you need these steps, that you'll take us up on the opportunity to use them today. Whatever decision the Lord has laid on your heart today, my prayer is that you would let it be known. Let's pray together. Gracious Jesus, thank you that you came for us. You didn't have to. It would have been a whole lot easier for you if you hadn't. My prayer today, Jesus, is that you would remind us of the hope that we can have in you simply because you came. I pray today, Lord, for those who are struggling with making a decision, whatever it may be, and that you, in your wisdom, in your strength, would draw us to yourself. Do your work now, Lord Jesus, in each of our lives, and thank you, Jesus, that you want us to be home with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.